You're listening to the AfterBuzz TV Network. Now the largest new media platform on the web and your number one source for after-show entertainment. From Los Angeles, California, and Maria Menounos, and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies, this is AfterBuzz TV Spotlight On. Spotlight On is a long-form interview series featuring actors and TV personalities. And now, from the world's number one TV after-show platform, this is AfterBuzz TV Spotlight On. All right, thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV Spotlight On. Today we're going to be interviewing an actor who's had a very long and fairly successful career. He's been in General Hospital, now he's in Graceland. He's had a few other guest star roles that we'll talk about later. But today I am joined by Eric Valdez. Yeah, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Great to have you in studio. Yeah, I appreciate it. This is, this is a cool little setup, man. I walk in, it's like colorful and, and loungy. And, and on I'm the impressed. outside, you couldn't even guess. It's very like low-key and yeah, secret. It's, it's very beige. Yes, very beige. but that, that's cool because and you know keeps you know the millions of paparazzi that follow me around every day away. I know. And by right. millions, had, I mean to, we had to beat them away with a baseball happens. bat today. <laughs> never, never happens. I mean, it sometimes happens. Hey, occasionally, but uh, it's it's a rare thing. I mean, no, it, it does, but you know, it's that's part of the thing there. Oh, there's my mic. It was acting weird. We're cool. Yeah, the connector is a little bit, you know, jury jury rigged right there. Okay. Um. So so yeah. So you just you just kind of had your second episode on Graceland. Yeah. Which is like the big like USA's a huge network. It is. I you know, in this this show itself, I watched last season, I was, you know, a fan of the show before mm-hmm. being on it and everything, and it's what's cool about it is Graceland up until, you know, recent years has played a little safe. They've had good programming, but it hasn't you know, it's been a little bit I don't want to say vanilla in a bad way. It's just mm-hmm. been a little safe. And this show really pushed the boundaries for them and, and you know, I, in, a, in a good way. And then coming into it, finding out that I'm going to actually be a part of it was awesome. And then reading what was actually going to be happening and what my character was going to be involved in was just amazing. So so tell me your, your first thoughts on the, on the first season and when you found out, like, that you could get this audition or did they request you for the show? No, actually, what, what was cool about this is it's, it's good having a good team behind you. So my agents uh, had good relationships with the, the casting directors and uh, they read the breakdown and they were like, wow, Eric would be pretty good for this. Let, let's get him in the room. And, and so they made a call and said, you know what, Eric needs to get in there, blah, blah, blah. Really good pitch people. You know, nowadays it's with technology and stuff, it's all too easy for agents or, you know, whomever to just click submit on online and, and put, put a picture in. up there. And then if somebody calls you in, that's great. But no, it's good having a good team behind you. They pushed to get me in the room. And then when I saw the sides and I read the sides for the audition piece, I'm like, man, this is this is dope. Like it's it's something that I'd never gotten to play before, and so I really sunk my teeth into it. And uh, and yeah, I went in there and, and auditioned, and I must have done something right. I mean, uh, <laughs> it 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 came about a week later. We didn't hear anything. No, nothing good, nothing bad for about a week, which is kind of rare. And uh, no callback, nothing like that. And all of a sudden, there was an offer. And oh, wow. I mean, that that's just. I was sitting at Zanku Chicken on uh, <laughs> on Riverside <laughs> when I got the call with some buddies of mine. Did, and, you, uh, did you yell? I did. I, I probably a couple of octaves higher than I really needed to in public. Okay, a little girlish, but uh, no, it was it was exciting, man. It was it was a really good call uh, to get. 
You know, it's actually kind of funny because as you say, you're sitting in Zanko Chicken. I'm like thinking of how similar your character is to Tuco from Breaking Bad. I'm thinking of El, uh, Los Pollos Hermanos. Pollos Hermanos, yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's, it's funny you say that. I, um, you know, Carlito is definitely a special kind of crazy. Um, yeah. he's, he's an interesting person and there's a lot of, a lot of different elements of, of life. Not that I'm that person in general, but I grew up in El Paso, Texas, mm-hmm. which is a huge, you know, drug trafficking mecca, uh, unfortunately, of, of, you know, of the, you know, the world. And so I, I saw things, not that I was involved in any way, shape, or form, but you just, you read on in the paper, you hear on the news certain things that go on. You grow up around, little wannabe gangsters and stuff like that. And so all that stuff, you know, becomes, even though I didn't know it at the time, necessarily character research. Yeah. And then you look into th- to, to shows like Breaking Bad and Tuco and uh, even what went back to Bad Boys 2 and Johnny Tapia and like watched the way these guys bring those certain characters to life and just, you know, not not to, to emulate them at all or, or copy them by any means, but just to see how they did what they did because both those guys are, so far removed from that in real life as you know just individuals not actors i'm like okay how am i going to make this believable and how am i going to make this true when it is you know carlito is so different than eric yeah so it was i'm, I'm glad you say that and by the way pollos hermanos is awesome i wish it was a real thing and oh, breaking bad is fantastic they just got nominated like ridiculously for i mean <laughs> Remy's I, again today. I feel like they should just get every award for the next five years or so until yeah. something as good comes along I mean, I, not to say anything about Graceland. Graceland's a great show. But, <laughs> well, but, I don't think I, I don't think I was eligible this year, so let's <laughs> let's cross our fingers for next year on there that. You go. But uh, no, that'd be that'd be fantastic. I mean, the reality is, it's a fantastic time to be in television. Yes, um, there's so much good programming out Halle there. Halle Berry has a show now. Yeah, right. Like, like movie stars are moving movie to stars. television. Yeah. It's, it used to be, you know, and it still is a lot of actors. I, I know I want to do movies. I know they're, they're doing Top Gun too. If anybody out there is casting <laughs> that and, you know, wants to consider me, I'd appreciate it. But, uh, no, I mean, we always aspire to do film. That's uh, just the, from the artistic standpoint, the creative standpoint, it's, it's kind of the mecca of, you know, of, of, of acting and, and directing and whatever. But, nowadays with, with cable and with Netflix and with, you know, all these other outlets out there that, that are really embracing, you know, the the art of of filmmaking and television making. It's not it's not so cookie cutter anymore. And suddenly you can create these shows like Graceland that are a little edgier and and allow you to push the boundaries and put people on the edge of their seats, you know, for a whole hour. Whereas to get that kind of effect, you used to have to go to the movie theater. And so I don't know. For me, it's really exciting to to not only be in television in general, but to be involved in a project like Graceland right now. Well, last last season we had uh, Joe Henderson come in, who was one of the uh, one of the executive producers on the show, or assistant yeah. to the executive producer. And uh, he he was talking about how this is the first USA wanted to branch out, and we had Graceland was written for like twenty years ago. And then they rewrote it to bring it back because they knew they could actually bring something that was darker to USA yeah. because USA is trying to compete with FX and AMC with all of these more grittier shows for the college crowd, for the people who binge watch on Netflix who are like really into that. So do you think, how would you play your character differently if you had to be on a show that wasn't gritty? Like how could you play Carlito if you mm. couldn't be as insane and flippant with violence as he is and i'm sure we're going to see more of that coming up yeah there's there's a little bit more more of that uh you know honestly it 
it wouldn't it wouldn't really do the storyline it wouldn't do the character justice to to you know dumb it down or to to water it down or anything like that if if that opportunity were there let's say 10 years ago and and you know to play this character yeah it'd be doable but it would it would be nowhere near as interesting in my opinion as a viewer to watch to watch a character like that you know be brought down 10 notches mm-hmm. it'd be oh wow that's cool but you wouldn't have this like jaw dropping effect that Carlito has on and the storyline in general. I mean, not just our storyline, Johnny and and, and Carlito's storyline, but the, the show itself dives into some really dark places this season, and we're just now seeing the you know the tip of the iceberg on that. So no, I mean, yeah, it would have made some adjustments. It, it would have been doable. I mean, as an actor, that's that's what we do. We adapt to whatever situation we're put into. But I don't think it would have been anywhere near as as enjoyable to play or mm-hmm. as enjoyable to watch as a viewer ten years ago. So we are getting very very dark in this season. Yeah. And I mention it on the after show every week. I'm like, okay, this is like sex <clears throat> trafficking mixed with drug trafficking, and it's not it's not it's not out of the realm of possibility. Like it's happening. Like it happens every day in this country, and it's scary to think about how realistic this show can do a portrayal of that. Right. Because there's so many people in this country, it's not too unrealistic to think that there is a Carlito out there, that there is oh, multiple Carlitos out there. I'm absolutely positive that, that this guy exists somewhere in some way, shape, or form. And, you know, that's in television or in film or, or, or whatever, a lot of these stories, you know, it's, it's make-believe. Yes, we're pretending, but they don't come out of nowhere. Like you're mm-hmm. saying, this stuff really does happen. As sad as it is, it's a reality for, for people out there. And... I think the good thing about the way the writers have have written this season and the way our directors have come on and, and kind of brought it to life and all the cast and everything like that is we're we're bringing across or we're we're bringing up these these really dark things that a lot of people don't like to talk about in say your news outlets or whatever so much and bringing them to light uh, you know in in a believable way where people are like wow it makes them sit and think like you just said wow this really happens and even though we're showing the really bad side of it and, you know, <laughs> characters like Carlito are terrible people who you really want to hate. It, it makes you think a little bit about, you know what, this, this, this really does happen to certain people. And, you know, the hopes are, I know Surrenda Swan has been very outspoken against human trafficking mm-hmm. and everything like that. And, and the hopes are that, you know, yeah, you'll be entertained and, and, and yeah, you'll, you'll watch the season progress and get dark and, and everything like that. But you'll think about it a little bit and maybe just, you know, not, it's not a, it's not a PSA by any means. But it just gets your mind working, and you know, whatever whatever you can do, whatever we can do, lending our voice or as viewers, you guys can do to to kind of bring awareness to stuff like this. Yeah, it's a perk. It's it's a plus. Definitely, and I I gotta I gotta ask too. Um, you you did theater from an early age. Your first mm-hmm. play was when you were seven. The Velveteen Rabbit. The Velveteen. Yeah. That was what it was. Yeah. What was what was your role in that? I was the Velveteen you Rabbit. Were the Velveteen I Rabbit. was. <laughs> Yeah, starring role at age seven, man. So you, you, you moved on to pursue a career in acting. I mean, you moved to LA in 2004, but my question to you, you, you're working alongside like Aaron Tveit and mm-hmm. he is a well-known Broadway actor. Oh yeah. Like super well-known. So I want to ask, do you think that you've ever had, have you ever had like aspirations to move into Broadway? Cause I know you said that like movies are the peak. But then I see people who are going from TV and going into Broadway and doing that more as opposed to moving into movies. Right. I mean, and that's that's a great point, actually. I mean, theater is something I've always wanted to get back to. The The sad reality of it is, 
it doesn't, you know, in terms of my where I'm at in my career right now, you know, I still need to make a living. And mm-hmm. there's not a lot of money in theater. Unless, you know, unless you're doing big Broadway productions, you can make some pretty decent money. But, you know, again, I do it as, this is a passionate thing. I don't do it to become famous or to become super rich. I mean, those things are great if they happen. But the reality is I can't, I can't take six months to go to New York and do an off-Broadway play, which is what I would be doing at this point in my career. And, you know, out of passion, because I, at this point, I still have to focus on what is going to drive my career, plant these seeds, you know, make the little paychecks here and there and continue to move forward to establish myself to a point where I then have that luxury of going and and taking, you know, six months off to do, to do a play in in New York. And, uh, you know, Broadway is, Broadway is another world. I mean, Mm -hmm. I... I, I respect it wholeheartedly. I wish I had done more in in the realm of dancing or singing. I can carry a tune a bit, but I don't have Aaron's voice. I'll, I'll be first to say <laughs> that. And, uh, you know, it's not like I couldn't learn certain things, but I think for me, having done, like, the major- I think I did one musical back in the day, and the majority of everything else was just straight plays. That's kind of, I guess, where, where my heart still is, even though I appreciate Broadway. If an opportunity came up, it'd be great to explore. But uh, again, I, I want to, I want to be able to bring justice to whatever I'm doing. I don't want to just, hey, I get an opportunity, let me go do it and put a half-assed, you know, attempt at whatever it is out there. So, yeah. So growing up in theater, though, did you did you always kind of get cast as more on the on the darker side of the characters, or did you play the hero in ever in another one? In theater, it's theater is a different world, I think, because you know you're. It's not so typecasty, mm-hmm. I guess is probably the best way to say it. You can become whatever, you know. And so I, I played a variety of things from, you know, from the good guy, from the, you know, from, I guess, like the Velveteen Rabbit all the way to, I did a Chicano theater piece in, at the University of Texas, El Paso, um, when I was, I guess it was probably, I was out of college, but I was like 19, 20. I didn't go to college very long. Stay in school, kids. Um, <laughs> I was trying to find yeah. where you graduated from. I'm like, oh, okay. Not going to But, that. uh, no, no, a semester <laughs> and a half, maybe at college. And all I want to do is race cars and entertain people. And in my head, I was like, I don't need an education. I didn't for go that. to college either, man. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Look at us now. Right. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I, I played a, a, a character named Kiki Ventura back in the day who was, uh, he was he was nowhere near as twisted as Carlito, but he was an interesting kind of bad character. And for some odd reason, I think I think another part of being another part of that is being Latino. Like we do, unfortunately, get typecasted more than I mean everybody. Every ethnic ethnic background gets a little typecasted here and there, but all too often we get you know we get to play the bad guy or the drug lord or the the gangster or whatever. And you know, there's there's truth to the stereotyping, of course. It's just the reality of life. But I think I think one of the things that that I aspire to do is is do more. You know, I'm very proud of my Latino culture and heritage. And you know, I, I've, I'm a big mutt, really, so I can't specifically say, oh, I'm Mexican or I'm this or I'm that. But you know, it's it's the culture that I grew up around and I associate with. So I'd like to do stuff with that. But um, no, I mean it's. This character, I think, as bad as he is and as twisted as he is, is going to open some doors to then be able to do more stuff, you know, instead of just playing the bad guy. I don't think it's going to be something that keeps me in that that realm, you know, for the rest of my career. Well, one of the things uh, Graceland is so good at is putting layers to people in the show. And that's what I'm looking forward to see with your character, because we've only had, okay, he's crazy and he's a partier. That's like all we've gotten so far. But I mean, even with Bello, like he's absolute, he was absolutely insane. Yeah. But at the same time, and he's still alive, just letting you guys know, like, he's still out there. <laughs> um, 
he was absolutely insane, but at the same time, like, you connected with him on a human level because he had right. that humanity to the character. And I'm looking forward to seeing that humanity with your character because there's still, there's still, like, such a chance for showing that. And you mm-hmm. have, like, a whole, I mean, I don't know how many episodes you have left in the season, but I'm sure it's enough to build a great story along. So what, what, from your character alone and from when you did the sides, I don't know what scene that was. I don't know if we've seen the scenes that you auditioned yeah. with. Um, tell me about that too. But um, what do you think your character's humanity is like? What does the audience connect or is going to connect with uh, well, Carlito on? There's I, I can't speak too much to that just yet because the the way the story unfolds, I wanted to be a little more organic or organic in the way that the audience finds out. There is a there is a a couple of really pivotal moments, uh, and we'll see some of that in next week's episode, starting as to. Probably why Carlito is as crazy as he is, if that makes any sense. I know I'm being a little vague, but again, I don't want to give too much away. Um, but there will definitely be a couple of points along the season where as twisted and as bad as he is, people are going to be like, wow, okay, that kind of makes sense now. It's, it's He's not just completely nuts for no reason. There are reasons behind that. Um, the sides that I auditioned with, the that scene was actually... The very first episode that I did with the the duel and oh. you know the the first time meeting uh, Manny's character Johnny and everything. So reading all that and just there's there's in that scene and they cut a little bit of it, which they always do for time and whatnot. But reading that scene alone, you go from you know you don't know who this guy is to oh maybe he's just being fun and and you know whatever to oh my gosh, no, this guy's actually really nuts. And then. Wait, he's gonna he's gonna like challenge a guy to a duel, and then he shoots his homie. Like, like yeah. there's so many layers and levels, and you know it's a roller coaster ride in the in the in you know in the amount of what six pages worth of dialogue. That that's really what, like I said, drew me in and and made me want to to do as much as I could to 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 play the character. Now, did you watch Hannibal? I've watched bits and pieces, but I mean, I, I remember, you know, Silence of the Lambs way back in the day, and so that's what, you know, caught me to watch the, the series, but I haven't watched it religiously now. Okay, there's there's a character in Hannibal that reminds me of where I think your character is going with his backstory, and mm-hmm. you can't confirm or deny this, but... I won't. When I, when I break down, like, how fast you go from laughing to serious, and then when things just kind of, I guess, de-escalate into whatever they do with, um, with Manny, of course, Johnny, mm-hmm. um, there's a character in Hannibal that he's so maniacal and he's so methodical with that he does, but it's because his father was the one who brought him up that way. His father was the one like to run this business. He'd give him a knife and he just stabbed him in the pig to check the, check the fat levels. And like just in a, in a moving violence into a business sense. And your father is the Solano cartel. Correct. And he's the one who they can't really find out anything on because you are the face of the Solano cartel, but he is the one behind doing everything else. Right. Yeah, there's, uh, I, all I'll say to that is there's definitely, there's definitely some, some really deep rooted things between Carlito and his father. And, uh, Nestor Serrano, who plays my mm-hmm. father, is, he's just, he's amazing. He's like, always the villain, but he's, he's like great. So good. Yeah. And, uh, he'll, he'll, it'll be a couple of episodes yet before he shows up, but, um, I mean, it's just, the good thing about this season is it just, it escalates and it escalates. And we're at this point where next week's episode, I think, is going to be, this week was kind of an edge of the seat thing for sure. And it started really tapping into, okay, this is where each character is going for the rest of the season. Mm -hmm. Next week, I think, is going to showcase a lot of stuff. It's going to, 
you know, it, it's going to really open people's eyes to be like, whoa, okay, I that's what I thought was happening. Or some people may be completely caught off guard and be like, holy shit, like this is... So next week's episode is probably going to be... I'm partial to that one. I mean, it just... And not just for my character alone, but there's some good things with Carlito for sure. But, I mean, I remember going to the table read uh, for the for next, next week's episode and everybody's in there and this this is you know for half the people half the cast this is the first time i'd met them because you know most of my stuff takes place with with johnny's character or uh, you know manny's character mm-hmm. johnny and everybody just reading the you know anytime you hear the content out loud it brings it to another level this table read was i mean it was intense and yeah. and it's just it's not even a performance obviously for those of you who aren't familiar with table reads it's you know it's the first time you're really hearing the words out loud um with each person reading them but man it was just it's it's a it's a it's a hell of a an episode can you give us any hints at all well i mean i don't want to again if you saw those that watched last night if you saw the trailer for next week Mm -hmm. that was i mean that i watched the trailer twice i i was in those moments i remember reading the script and i still watched that trailer for next week's episode twice because it's it just it literally like brings chills to you and that is just a tiny little bit of what what you're really going to see. Well, they did a really great job with the trailer because they give you just enough. They give you Johnny kissing your gun. Mm-hmm. They give you I mean, you don't know it's your gun, but it's your gun. Um <laughs> that's what I'm assuming anyway. Yeah. Um they also give Mike talking about there's a mole in Graceland. Yeah. So right now Twitter like last night Twitter was trending with who the hell is the mole? It's it's insane last night. It's funny you mentioned Twitter and everything because you know, we, I didn't get to really live tweet last night. I was at a dinner meeting and everything like that, but I started going back and, you know, I try to interact with, with people as much as possible on Twitter because the reality is like there, there are no shows without fans. There are no films without fans. And so for them to take the time out of their day to watch the show and then share their opinions and their reactions on a social network like that, you know, if I can, if I can have a conversation with them or respond to certain things, then I'm going to do it. So I went back last night after I watched it and a few people were still awake and, and, and whatnot. And it just, I mean, I was going back and looking at the hashtags, you know, Graceland TV and magic number and blah, blah, blah. It just seemed like so much more traffic last night on Twitter than the first two episodes, which is a good thing. Um, and I think that's, it's really showing that the audience is, is responding, that they are getting what we're doing. And I mean, you can't ask for more when you're doing a television show. Well, the great thing about this show and what I was saying about next week's episode kind of comparing to season one when you find out Briggs is, um, Odin. Yeah. And this show really does have like, it has, it's like a roller coaster. You're being pulled up mm-hmm. this steep hill. And episode four, five, six is when you're right at the top. And then for the next six episodes, you're just going down in like this yeah. crazy wild goose chase of what the hell is going to happen next. Yeah. So we, we get, we get episode five next week. We get episode six the next week after that. And I feel like after that, we're just going to be like, when is the next episode? When is the next episode? When is the next episode? I mean, I, I think, I think a lot of the fans are already there. Uh, <laughs> you know, we, we did that. I say stupid, you know, not, not that I can control anything, but the two week break there, oh. there was a holiday and everything, but. It uh it takes it, momentum it sometimes. It takes momentum sometimes. The thing is, the good thing is it was early enough on in the season where you weren't really breaking up this massive crescendo, mm-hmm. you know, and oh my gosh, what's about to happen next? Um I just, you know, as a viewer I get I get frustrated cuz I I'm, you know, even taking myself out of the equation for being part of the show, just watching a show like this that builds up like you're saying, you don't want to have to wait, you know, a week let alone two. So that was kind of uh, you know, whatever. But yeah, moving forward, I mean, it's we're getting to that 
that peak in the roller coaster. And it's y'all are about to be in for an amazing, insane, crazy ride for sure. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I did want to also ask, let me just throw it into my mind real quick because I had it there and I let it sit for too long and yeah. it simmered down to a cool. Um, what was I going to say? I'll go to something else and I'll think of it later. Okay, we'll figure it out. Yeah. So, um, when you're, oh yeah. So the writers actually do tie everything in on this show. So literally every story goes into itself at some point or another. And that's what I realized with season one is that you have such smart writing that lets you grasp at so many straws that you think this is what's going to happen. Yeah. And then that's, you're right, but you're also wrong. And what, what happens is a lot better. But there was one thing with last season that I, I was kind of left kind of hanging on is when they killed Jangles, Mm -hmm. I kind of felt like they could have taken it further and killed off a character in Graceland. And I feel like they were afraid to do it because it was the first season. Sure. But I'm I'm wondering, and I don't know if you can tell me anything about this, (laughs) do you think the writers are set in their stone enough that they could kill off someone in Graceland potentially this season? I mean, I won't. I won't say anything as to whether it happens or it doesn't happen, but I think I think the the good thing about the writing and, and the directing, the edit, the everything about this show is they are they are confident in what they're doing enough to the point where you know the show they've created enough substance, I guess you could say, to where if you know when shocking moments happen, mm-hmm. it's it it does what it's supposed to do. It's jaw dropping. But it's it doesn't take away from the momentum or whatever else is going on. If anything, it adds to it. Um, I you know again I I won't I won't say anything about what <laughs> happens to any main cast members or anything like that. But um, no, I just one thing you mentioned about last season and Jangles and everything, and it just it brought up a, a memory of how how smart the writing is and how good the the editors are and everything like that. Even is you know when you first started learning about this Jangles character and and. You know, then you had the the federale come up from Mexico, and you know, okay, what's this all about, or whatever? And they had alluded to the fact that Jangles, you know, cuts people up and blah blah blah. And there was this one cut, and I don't remember who edited the episode or who even directed the episode. So if you're watching, you know, let me know on on Twitter <laughs> who it was. It was this one cut where they went from a certain scene to the guy playing Jangles as the federale cutting into a steak. Oh yeah. And I was like, for me, that was that moment that was like, oh shit! Like and you're like, you know, he's Jangles. Yes, and just those little tidbits of, of like, I guess, little things that they kind of drop out there. Um, some people get, some people don't, and then when you do get it, you start looking back at, oh, that's what, oh, I get it. You, you know, have the epiphanies and that type of stuff to me is what what makes TV, you know, exciting and what makes a show like this makes you want to watch. It makes you not want to wait a week to watch next, you know, the next episode or whatever. And it's so smart. And, you know, I've worked with a handful of the writers on, on, you know, on, I've done enough episodes, luckily, to be able to work with different writers. And I've met the majority of them, if not all of them at this point. And man, they're just, they, it, it amazes me. I mean, as an actor, we, we, we bring stuff to life, sure. But if we're not given good material, it makes our job a lot harder. When we're given the stuff that we're given, it, this season is just, I mean, it makes it, not that it doesn't challenge us or push us, it absolutely does, but in the good sense of that. We're not having to, 
having to make words make sense or make scenes make sense or whatever. So I don't know. For me, I'm again partial because I'm, you know, I'm now this far into this show, but this is, this is one of the better projects I've worked on for sure. Do you get that sense of discovery while you're reading the script for the first time where yeah. like before it's said, you like realize it and you're like, wait a second. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, and I love that. Like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get the script and I'll be in my room reading or whatever. And I start, you know, because I'll, I'll read the whole thing. Like, for me, it's... Some people have different things. I'll go and read their scenes first or whatever the case may be. I like to read the entire script first mm-hmm. and then go back and look at my own material and everything. So I'll read the script and it, to me, especially now having worked, you know, after I did two, three episodes, I started realizing, okay, this is how they shoot it. This is how... And, and I had seen first season as well. So you start reading a script and you, you sense that build up in on like page 12 or whatever and then by page 15 you know when that scene's over they go to another one and then that scene comes back up on page 16 17 you're like well okay what's about to happen and then you read it and you're like i mean there's literally been moments (laughs) where i've just paused kind of put the script down and gone oh shit like this is this is i did that last night i was watching the episode and i i I, stephanie georgie my co-host was sitting next to me and i paused i'm like oh my god the tinker Oh man, they're uh-huh. tying that in with that. But I mean, I don't know if I'm right yet. But at the same time, it's just like those moments, those moments. that get exactly. you, and you're like, two and two equals four for a second, and yeah. you just kind of explode with like, I can't wait. I can't and, wait. and that's what makes you want to continue, you know, watching. Which is, again, I, I think, <laughs> I don't know. I, I've, I'm, I'm very blessed to be able to, to not only work on this project, but to now be kept around a little bit longer than what was initially expected. Even you know. As a guest star and even a recurring guest star, you've got, you know, on the business side of things, they'll say, we're guaranteeing you this number of episodes, blah, blah, blah. On the creative side of things, you start reading it and you get two episodes into it and you're like, hmm, well, this could go a variety of ways. And so whether it, whether it, you know, it's a combination of things. I, I obviously, you know, the, 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 the crew and the cast and the writers were pretty receptive to what I was doing, which makes me feel fantastic. And the storyline itself gets so good that, you know, I'm, I'm thankful that I'm still I'm still around. So, uh, you know, there's a few things up in the air still, but um, it's and again, I don't want to talk too much and ruin anything. But yeah, it's Carlito's going to hang around for a little while. And we haven't we still haven't even seen much of your sister in the show either. Right. And Jamie, who's who's fantastic. Hey, Jamie, if you're watching, she'll be coming into studio. In a oh, few really? Weeks. Yeah. Oh, she, oh, awesome. Yeah, I didn't know that. Um, yeah, she's, she's fantastic. I mean, just on a human level, we get along so great. And, you know, we, when you have to go, we shoot in Florida. And mm-hmm. so when you have to go be away from home for so long and you're going to be working with somebody, you really hope that they're off screen, off camera, off work, good people. And she's fantastic. So that's cool. But no, I mean, her, that whole storyline, the, the Johnny, Carlito, Lucia thing is just, it's so cool. I wish I could say more about it right now. But. I, I, I feel like something Game of Thrones-esque is coming on, like, with their storyline. <laughs> I don't know if it's incestuous. I don't know if, like, it's very, like, suicidal, death-related. I mean, with John, with Carlito, everything is death-related. Yeah. But I feel like everyone is kind of taking cues from all these other TV shows. And it's great to see it because you're not getting the same thing. You're just getting this a similar concept in a different skin. Right. And I'm really excited to see where that plays out with, of course, Lucia as well. Because I know Johnny's like into Lucia. And we think Carlito's into Johnny. So that creates a triangle right there that's kind of familial. And then, I mean, we have the whole dominance thing. Somebody was tweeting us last night about like Carlito having the two women on him and making Johnny sit down. Yeah. And I'm thinking that was more of a dominance thing that Carlito thinks Johnny's totally into because Johnny <laughs> has to play it 
he has to listen to him. Yeah. I mean, if Johnny wasn't a cop, he'd probably be right out of there. But the fact that he listened to Carlito when Carlito said sit, it kind of puts Johnny in a very submissive position that Carlito probably takes as, okay, he's going with it. Right. It's, it's, and reading Twitter, it's great. It's, it's cool to see how, how savvy the audience is. And, uh, Excuse me. <clears throat> we had uh, <laughs> there was some tweet last night, and I can't remember who who said it. Otherwise, I'd give you credit if if you said it. Remind me. But uh, somebody tweeted <laughs> basically, "Whoa, Johnny is Carlito's bitch," and it's like <laughs> that's. I mean, that's in in that moment in that sense. Yeah, there's some truth to that. Um, the cool thing about that whole bit is Johnny. You know, the character of Johnny is so. You know, he's got this this really cool swagger to him and this bravado. And, and Manny does such a cool job with him being the comedic relief, but also the witty this and the, you know, the the, the machismo side of, of it and everything. And to see that character start to be brought down to this notch, you can just, in Manny's face when he plays Johnny, you see, it's just so cool to see him, like, gritting his teeth and being like, you know, it's that moment where anybody's worked somewhere and been like, why the hell am I doing this? Why is this my job type of thing? And to see that come across from Johnny's character is really cool to watch. Well, I mean, that scene must have been fun for you to film, too. I'm going to comment on that one. It wasn't the worst day at the office, I guess you could say. But uh, no, <laughs> I mean, it's it's part of the business, you know, part of the business. Yeah, it's a business that'd be fun to be in then. Yeah. Um, what was that? Just powdered sugar they used on you or it was it's a combination. And uh, I, geez, I can't remember. can't remember what exactly it is. But yeah, it's it, it was kind of sweet and it's powdered sugar and something else. I don't remember what it is. But uh, I think Aaron Fullerton, who wrote the, the script last night, even tweeted something about the heroin when, you know, uh, and if you guys haven't watched the show, I'm sorry, I'm ruining a lot for you. <laughs> but um, yeah, when Briggs started dumping stuff down the, the drain, he's like, yeah, that was mainly brownie mix and it smelled fantastic. <laughs> and it's just Aaron's a great guy to follow on Twitter if if you if you don't already. He's hilarious. The recipe calls for seventeen pounds of brownie mix put in a put in a clothing washer and mixed until yes. <laughs> And apparently that makes heroin. Who knows? There you go. That's yeah. how that's how brownie tar heroin is made. <laughs> um so I do want to move into some other things aside from Graceland in this interview, but if you guys were only watching for Graceland, I'm glad that you tuned in this far. Thank you. Yes. Let's stick around and we'll get to know Eric Valdez as we talk about his early life as well as um his other shows that he's been on. So you are a second generation cotton farmer from Texas. I am not. My dad was a second generation you're cotton a third farmer, generation, but not I didn't a cotton farm. Farmer. So, so yes, you're the son of a second generation. Son of a second gen- sounds like a country song, right? It's son of a second generation. Anyway, see, he can kind of. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, yeah, my my grandfather um, and my father and I was actually born out in Lubbock, but they they grew up on a farm uh, outside of Lubbock, Texas, a little place called County Line. So shout out Lubbock, Texas. Uh, guns up. Texas Tech, you know. Anyway, <laughs> um, showing some love to the homies. But, uh, yeah, they, it was, uh, even though I never did any of the hard labor, luckily, you know, my dad and my grandpa worked their asses off enough to get to the point where, you know, my father and my mother provided a really good life for, for my brother and I. And, you know, first few years when I was a little kid, we still struggled, but my dad's, my dad's really good at what he does. And, uh, you know, so we thankfully had a, a pretty good life and upbringing. But the, the fantastic thing about it all is, we, we never lost our roots. They, both my parents made sure that we, I mean, we were back in Lubbock, even though I grew up in El Paso, we were in Lubbock for every holiday and have a massive family. And, um, you know, just being around, 
around good-natured people and staying grounded and, and hearing the stories of, you know, the struggles that, that they had. My dad had six sisters. All of them were wow. working on the farm. He was the only boy. All of them were working on the farm by the time they were six years old. They'd get up in the morning, literally lived on the little house that was a mile off of the highway on a dirt road surrounded by cotton. And they'd get up in the morning and they'd farm and then they'd, you know, go down the dirt road, jump on a bus, ride the bus 10 miles into a small town and go to school, come back home, work till the sun went down. Like, wow, at an early age. And I mean, that, that type of stuff still, I don't know. It just, it gets me. It's, uh, did you, you don't hear stories like that anymore. Did your dad try to instill like hard work into you by having you like spend days on the farm sometimes? It, it's, it's weird looking back now, like as a kid, you don't really realize what exactly is being instilled in you. You just mm-hmm. go through life and you go through moments. And you know, now at my age, I look back and Everything that we did from allowance to perks to, you know, toys to clothes to whatever we did always had some sort of something attached to it to where we had to earn it. It was nothing was given to us. So in that sense, yeah, we always we learned very early on the value of a dollar and that it doesn't just come out of nowhere. And even though, like I said, my dad at a certain point made decent money, he didn't just he spoiled us, but. We knew that that it didn't that it came at a price that we had to do something to get that. So, and I look back at that now, and it's just I mean it it really I think that honestly is what has motivated me to continue to pursue something as as crazy as a career in entertainment. You know, first off, I wanted to race cars for a living. That's not not safe in both the you know literal and and uh, figurative sense of the word. And then, so I said, well, I'm not going to do that because it's too expensive. Let me go <laughs> be an actor because that's real secure. And then, mm-hmm. you know, no, but I think in, he taught us to, to, you know, appreciate things, work hard for things and believe in ourselves and seeing his backstory and seeing where he came. It, it's just, it's an inspiration to me to then be like, you know what, whatever I want to do, I can do. Um, obviously there are limitations. I, I love football. I'm never going to be a pro football player. So you got to be smart about you gotta what believe. you pursue. No. But, you know, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, and I could talk for hours on that part. It's just, it's, it's really embedded in me, the whole value of family and life and work and everything like that. Did they have, I got, I got to ask, cause if they've had this in the, in their family, the house, the farm, the ranch or whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. for probably a hundred years now. Well, the, this is where, you know, they they never owned the never owned the it. land. They were, I guess, sharecroppers or whatever. They they worked the land, and okay. in return, they got a small amount of money, and they got to live in the little farmhouse, two bedrooms, one bathroom. They built another room on the back, and there were nine people total in this house. Wow. Yeah, and but they never owned land. Like the house itself, I think at one point in time, my grandpa did. Uh, maybe he did own. I don't remember the whole the whole deal with that, but it's not in the family anymore, unfortunately. And that's that's something I've always wanted to just for sentimental value. I don't need, you know, the two hundred acres or whatever it was worth of cotton anymore. I just that house. There's so many memories in that house, and it stood there for it's still standing. And you know, it, my grandparents were there for forty something years. And I don't know. For, I'm a very sentimental person, so yeah, I absolutely want that back in the family. But no, it was never even really all theirs. That's just. You know, that's, again, different lifestyle. You you just work to make a living somehow. So you grew up in El Paso. You played soccer. You played golf. You, I, I found you ate at Grandy's all the time. Oh, man. Those were the glory <laughs> days when I would... 
get up before school and go to Grandy's and get a 32-ounce Dr. Pepper and a bacon and egg and cheese biscuit and a hash brown. They always just know the regular, like, oh, hey, Eric, you want the regular? Or Pretty did they, much. Did they call you Russell? I don't know if you no, go by no. that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for bringing that up. Uh, surprise! Uh, no, yeah, Russell Eric Valdez is my full name. Um, never gone by Russell because from the moment I was born, my grandfather hated that name. <laughs> but uh, for a car guy, it makes some really cool initials. Rev. Oh, uh, you're right. right. There like, you go. So, is so that what your dad was go. thinking of when he was like, he's no, going to be a race sure, car driver? <laughs> I'm sure he wishes that uh, I had no you know, interest in cars whatsoever because it's, <laughs> it's not a cheap hobby. I'll tell you that much. But um, no, the whole, yeah, the Grandy's thing back then, man, I, I was also about 40 pounds heavier than I am now. And I guess that's what Dr. Pepper and <laughs> hash bounds and stuff will do to you every morning. Well, well that's what I was kind of, I connected with you on that a little bit when I was doing the research for the interview, because I'm like looking at this, because when I look at you first off and I would never know, like nobody would really well, ever thanks. know that you were heavy, heavy set. And like, I connect you with you. Cause I was, I was heavy set in high school. Like I was 250 pounds in wow. high school. And then I lost it all because I like wanted to actually like, you know, have a social or not have a social life, but just feel better about myself. Women, right? Women. Yeah. That was, <laughs> that was the cause. Um, but like, I, ne- I never knew. So when I found out about that, I was like, that's really cool. And to see like you had the three, the three steps and you were said, you said you do no soda, no yep. carbs and no processed foods. Are you still sticking to that? No, no, I'm not as strict as that. I mean, I, I went nuts for a while with the, and I, and I literally like quit all the, the, the shit that I was eating and drinking cold turkey, like quit sodas, cold turkey, quit fried foods, cold turkey. And I, I ate basically the same thing every single day for nine months, worked out six days a week. And I went from, I'd already lost a little bit of weight at this point when I started and, you know, said, okay, this is, I'm going to be serious about this. So the day that I weighed myself and I started, I was 197 pounds. I was at my peak, probably 205, 210. I don't know if I ever got heavier than that. And in nine months, I went to 141. Wow. And which was a little too light. Uh, I ended up integrating a little bit more protein and then putting a little, little weight on. I was at 155 for a while, but I was like a little Bruce Lee. I mean, I was like six and a half percent body fat, like solid and super strong. But, you know, it's hard it, to I do was, upkeep on that. Absolutely. Especially as you get, you know, get into your 30s and everything like that, like... So nowadays, you know, and plus I love food. Like yeah. I like, I like food itself and I like the, the whole, you know, the whole thing that goes along with going out to eat and having dinner with friends or family or whatever. So, you know, for me, I like to stay in shape. I, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not a, a cover model. I'm not a pro athlete. So I try to train like an athlete, maybe not as hardcore, just so I can stay, you know, in good shape. I don't necessarily, eat to have perfect six-pack abs i eat and work out to be functional basically yeah do you have any advice for people out there who are trying to lose weight right now and kind of just need that motivation because i'm even my friend texted me last night and he's like i'm sick of making excuses for myself i want to lose weight what do i do so like what would your advice to like any of your fans who are out there who are in this position where they're just like you know what i want to change this how do i do it i mean the first the first step is just admitting that you know that you're at a point where you're you're uncomfortable with yourself and and you should never do it for anybody else first and foremost don't don't do it because society says you're too heavy or because a boyfriend or girlfriend says it do it because you're finally fed up with yourself and you want to see a change that that was my motivating factor anyway and once you admit that to yourself then it becomes easier to quit making excuses it doesn't happen overnight um extremely strong-willed people which i am can 
make those cold turkey changes, but I don't necessarily recommend that because it's it's an extreme thing to do. You go through withdrawal. You do. You absolutely do. And so my my biggest thing would be to, you know, do it in steps, do it in increments. And if you've got a vice, let's say it's soda, start taking soda away from yourself. If you're drinking, you know, some people, like I used to drink probably 64 ounces of soda a day. Wow. Cut that back to 32 for a couple days. Cut that back to a 12-ounce can of soda after that. And by week two, you know, maybe you've weaned yourself off of soda. There's step one. You know, and then so forth. Just keep going and removing things and replacing them with, with other things. If if the habit of drinking a soda or smoking a cigarette or whatever is, is you know, sometimes it's not even the the actual stuff you're drinking or eating or whatever. It's the, it's the act of doing it. Yeah. So they say it takes 21 days to form a habit. So if you keep that in mind and, and realize that, you know, you may go three, four days and be like, I've been so good. I haven't had a, a, a drop alcohol. I haven't had a cigarette. I haven't had a soda. And then you relapse on day four. The worst thing to do is beat yourself up because then you go to, on that downward spiral where you're like, well, why am I even doing this? I, I can't do it, blah, blah, blah. It's about allowing yourself to fall and make mistakes, which, you know, without getting too philosophical, is, is what life's all about, really. I mean, you know, everybody's going to fall on their face. And sometimes the harder you fall, the more motivating it is to continue to get back up and go further. So just don't expect to see a change right away, both mentally or physically. Realize it's it's a long process and make it a long-term goal. And the thing is, what really makes it worthwhile is when you do get past the first two or three weeks of trying to make any change in life, whether it be a physical or a mental or whatever, you do start seeing change. And then that becomes a motivating factor. Mm-hmm. It's not so hard to convince yourself of things anymore. It's like, wow, this is actually working. Now I want to go and, and, you know, work out even harder. I want to do this. The, the, the thing flip-flops at that point. You have to <laughs> reel yourself in a little bit <laughs> and not yourself. go too hardcore. Exactly. But no, just baby steps and, and really just do it for yourself. Believe in yourself and just realize that it's okay to make mistakes along the way. It took me three months to run my first mile in my life. And like, it, it takes a while. But you did it. There you go. And now you can probably look back and say, you know what? I could, Even if I don't do it regularly, I can go back and do a mile now. Even if it takes me 15 minutes, 20 minutes to do it, when people are running miles in four or five minutes, it doesn't matter. Now, that's the other thing. Never compare yourself to anybody else. We're all individuals, and we all have our str- strengths and weaknesses. And so, man, if you can do that, like, once the moment you realize that you are no better or worse than anybody else, but you are an individual and you can contribute that's that's when everything becomes easier, in well, my opinion. There's a fantastic quote that you said that your dad told you, and he said, look, if you put as much energy into yourself as you did your cars, <laughs> you'll go somewhere. Yeah, at the time, I was I was kind of <laughs> pissed at him. I'm like, what are you talking about, Dad? I, I love my cars, and they're awesome. I don't need to worry about myself. But again, it's one of those things you don't realize in the moment when you're a kid, but looking back at it now, like, yeah, it, it, there's a <laughs> lot of truth to that. Like, And it's like, for me, that's, food was there because that was that was just a thing, but for me... I spent all my time working on my cars. Why? Because everybody needs an escape from reality. And, you know, it, the argue, argument can be made that it's healthier than getting into drugs or alcohol or whatever the case may be. But it's definitely no cheaper. And it's definitely not necessarily safer sometimes. And, you know, when my dad made that comment, it, you know, it pissed me off. But then it also kind of motivated me. And I was like, well, maybe he's got a bit of a point. And uh, it took a couple years before I really let those words sink in. But once I did and really realize that you can't, you can focus, you know, my, my problem used to be, I would get hyper-focused on one thing just to get all the other bullshit of life out of the way. And I've learned now that 
that you have the ability to focus on a variety of things. You just have to, you know, figure out what the more important things are and prioritize them and then take time away from that to do this. Doing everything at once or focusing on only one thing is never really going to work. You have to find that balance, really. So do you think making that change in your life had a huge positive impact on where you are today? Absolutely. Not not just career. I mean, it definitely helped career-wise. As sad as it is, I mean, the reality is this this career is... This career path is, you know, it's, it's one that really rewards being in shape and taking care of yourself and everything. Um, but just in life in general, I mean, it was, and I used to be a little bitter about it. Now I've gotten past that, but I've always said, you know, I've always been the same person inside, but until I got in shape and started taking care of myself, the people that, that I, I'll get in a room and the people that I, I can talk to nowadays, not, not because I can suddenly talk to them, but the fact that they'll give me the time of day now because physically I look better than I used to. It's a little sad. Mm -hmm. But instead of being bitter about that and looking back and be like, well, why didn't these people talk to me when I was, you know, when I was out of shape or blah, blah, blah. I just look at it and be like, okay, I I understand that, you know, they're not necessarily doing anything, you know, out of a personal attack or whatever. It's just, it's life and it's, it's how certain things are. And there's certain things that we can't control in terms of what other people do. So, if you don't like what's going on, do what you can within your power to make that change, I guess. That's totally exactly how I feel about it. So it's amazing yeah. to kind of get somebody else's perspective on this. And I'm sure like the fans really appreciate that. And even talking about this, it kind of even ties back to the storyline with Jake's in uh, his cover in Graceland right now, mm. where he brings the chip in and he makes up a story. But at the same time, it's like you fell off, you fall off the wagon, you get back on the wagon. Right. You don't just kind of dive deeper into that whole thing but then he kind of starts drinking in later in it so it's kind of interesting to see the perspective of that character where he's not an alcoholic playing one as a cover but he's slowly becoming an alcoholic yeah and man brandon's killing it if brandon happens to be watching man he's i'm, I'm really liking his character a lot this season like <laughs> you feel for him from the get-go it's just he's he's got a lot of stuff he's going through and you know the thing is it's we look at certain characters or, you know, the fact that they're a government official or they're this, you know, high-level agent or whatever. It's almost like in life you look at CEOs, you look at actors, you look at athletes or whatever as though suddenly they're somehow better than other people. But to see, you know, this this guy who's made it in his career and gotten to this, you know, the pinnacle of whatever he did career-wise, to see all the stuff that he kind of forgot about along the way and how that's resurfacing now and affecting him, this veritable superhero can be brought down to these levels. It's just, it's pretty true to life, you know? And it's, I don't know, it's it's interesting to watch. I'm really liking that. Lots of lots of people on Twitter are like, oh, Jake's, don't. Yeah. Oh. And it's like, that's what we feel watching. We're like, oh, yeah, not again. Yeah. And when, I mean, I predicted, like the first episode we saw him, like when he's buying the apartment and everything like that, I'm just like, this is not good. Yeah. I'm like, this is just leading up for a big fall. And yeah. we're just, I, I don't think he stopped falling yet, which is terrible. Cause yeah, it's, and you know, I, <clears throat> excuse me, I, he's another one that, that I didn't get to work with a lot throughout the season, but I, I would read every script and everything. And that's a good storyline to watch too. I mean, it really, it just, this entire season is just, it's, it's so, so cool to read and I, I mean, now just watching it and seeing what they've done with everything in post and everything like that, it just really, like, I can sit back as a viewer and get lost in a show, even though I was part of it, which is amazing to me, because all too often, being in this industry, you watch something and you start dissecting it, and, oh, geez, this and that could have been done or better or whatever. The moment you quit doing that and you just get sucked in and you watch the show as a viewer, 
you know it's being done right, at least in my opinion. That's exactly right. Yeah. Also, shout out to Brando J on Twitter. He's been yeah. here before. He's such a nice guy. He's yeah, he's nice awesome, guy. man. Um, so I do want to talk about General Hospital a little bit to satiate the soap fans. <laughs> sure. You, you got to kind of lather them up a bit. Yeah. Um, so, that's great fun. Yeah, I like that. But, um, knee slapper. Um, so I didn't watch General Hospital. Surprise. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I, you, you did have like, you had like a six episode arc ending your character, but mm-hmm. what was it like being on that soap opera and like how long before they kind of killed your character i guess i can say it. it's not really a spoiler at this nah, point. it's not a spoiler at this um point. how long before they killed your character did you know that was going to happen and kind of what were your feelings towards that when you've been on a show for 100 episodes and you know that it's ending and you haven't i mean it's it's been tough for you to get work after that i guess i don't know if it's been tough for you but it's for when looking at your credits you haven't done much since then before right. graceland right i mean and that's that's the reality of the business you know and and what a lot of people don't understand like I've got, you know, friends and family back home who I've known for years and they see me, you know, now they saw me on General Hospital, now they see me on this and for whatever reason the outside world thinks, oh wow, this, like, this is, this is fantastic. He's becoming an overnight success. I've heard that, you know, we've all heard that. (laughs) Took 10 years to get to this overnight success level, but, you know, that's, that's the nature of the business. It's a bit of a roller coaster ride and, and doing a show as, you know, as, as well known and as historical, I guess you could even say, as General Hospital, it's been on the air 51 years now. It was it's an opportunity that that I never took for granted, and now having done it and left, I look back and I'm like, wow, I'm literally like to me to be a part of something historical is you know it's not like anything life changing historically, but it's something that everybody knows about whether they watch a show or not. Everybody knows the show, mm-hmm. and to be a part of that was huge. And career-wise, you know, some people will look at soap operas and, and frown upon them for whatever reason. You know, it's it's a different art form is what it is, and some people appreciate that art form more than others. There are people that love General Hospital that probably won't like Graceland or certain other shows, and vice versa. And so it's like any form of art. It's all in the eye of the beholder to be cliche with it. But to do that and to do 100 episodes was... A, great training, because you are memorizing so much dialogue, yeah. and you have so little time to shoot that dialogue. How many episodes a week did you do? Oh, man, we would do five to eight episodes a week. A week. And we're that- shooting 130 pages of dialogue a day. Not just me, but the, we're shooting a full yeah. episode at least, um, and then some. And so my average day was 15, 17 pages of dialogue that I had to have memorized. And what, what what's good about it is hey, the memorization techniques and everything that's that's a given you know it really helps out um but also you know the choices as an actor you know yeah you're you're limited with what you can do in the format of a soap opera you know essentially putting on a play you've got three walls you've got cameras in front of you and you're on a stage and you know it, the way i looked at it is it's like doing live theater really you have to make bold choices and you have to know your stuff because you're going to get two maybe three takes and then they're moving on and so when you know when you're involved in storylines that are sometimes comical sure but also sometimes they can be pretty heartfelt and pretty emotional and to be able to to make those bold choices in such a quick amount of time i think only helps uh, when it comes to doing something like carlito on graceland where sure we have the luxury of doing multiple takes per scene but instead of just kind of going out there and and doing your thing and and hoping you get a good take you go in there confidently making bold choices and then you do two or three good takes and you're like now i've got the luxury of trying something else and failing at it you know which that's that's what act that's what life is but that's what acting is so if you do two or three good takes 
you know, of a scene, then you start playing around with it, which is another reason I love working on this show is, you know, they're very, they allow us to play uh, mm-hmm. a bit, which is awesome. I love Characters sets welcome. like that. Yes, USA. exactly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but, but instead of going and, and, you know, if you know you've got a really hard scene or a really emotional scene to do and being like, all right, I know we'll probably, we'll, we'll do the close-ups, we'll do the, you know, the, the coverage, we'll do this, that, but I, this is going to be difficult. How do I get myself to that place and hope that you get to that place within the realm of the 10, 15 takes or whatever it is? Instead of that, doing something like GH teaches you to how to get to that place before they even start rolling. So by the third take, you've already got some that they can use, some great stuff in the can, and then you can take a breath and you can start playing with things. And by playing with things, I just mean living more in the moment. Like, you know, sure, it's make-believe, but to make it believable, whatever's happening in that moment happens, and you have to kind of live in it. And and there are things that aren't scripted that happen sometimes that make it even better. You know, sometimes it makes it worse, but just being able to do that, I mean, I am super grateful for having that that training and that boot camp, I guess you will, uh, with, with General Hospital. So do you find a... Uh do you find a connection here where you were kind of like the son of a mob boss in General Hospital? Funny, right? You're the son of a mob boss in Graceland? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 funny. The, the characters could not be any different. Oh, I mean, they're completely, you know, opposite ends of the spectrum, but they have that similarity. Like, yeah, you know, Trey on General Hospital, is, is his father was was a mobster, so he was the son of a mobster. Now I'm the son of a of a narco, of this, you know, drug lord. And so, there, you know, a lot of people get a kick out of that, you know, that have watched both shows. They just kind of, you know, it's a laughable moment. Like, oh, wow. Oh, so you're, just, back. you're going to play a, a drug lord and a, and a gangster and this the rest of your life? Eh, well, we'll see. But, um, no, I mean, it's, like I said, it's it's cool. What what, what it, I think is cool is because of that that similarity, the, you know, soap opera fans are fantastic. They're diehard. They watch every day. They have stuck with me in that void, like you said, where, you know, it wasn't hard to get work per se, not harder than normal. It was actually easier than normal because now I had a little more stuff under my belt. But this industry, it's, I tell people all the time, like for when I started, you know, it was 100 to 200 no's for every yes. And then as it progressed, it got to like 50 no's for every yes. Now it's maybe 30 no's for every yes. So it's getting better, but it's still, it's an industry of rejection. And going through that is 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 tough. But having fans like the, the fans from General Hospital that comment on things, that communicate with me on Twitter, and if you guys are watching, thank you so much. Like, it, it really genuinely helps to get through those struggles and to get through the times where I know there's more work coming. And I know there's always projects in the works. Sometimes you can't talk about them. Sometimes you don't want to talk about them because then they magically go away and never happen. But having that support is really, really helpful. And, uh, the thing in the time with the mobster thing and the, the, you know, the drug lord thing, I think is now a lot of my fans that have followed that didn't watch Graceland before that have followed me from GH to Graceland. They, they now can suddenly relate a little bit more mm-hmm. right off the bat. And so they're, they're making comparisons on Twitter and they're talking about different things and, and to me too, it's it's great to see the comments of you know, wow, we saw you play Trey, now we're seeing you play this. That's that's great range, you know. And to hear compliments like that, really, you know, they make they make me feel good. It's what you strive for as an actor, absolutely. And yeah. I also want to mention that you were nominated for an NAACP award, yeah. from General Hospital. Yeah, I was, which was, I mean, kind of surreal. Yeah, you I, know, I was like, really, wow, that's yeah. kind of cool. 
Yeah, it's it's you know it was one of those things where you you do again you do this because you love to do it acting. You don't necessarily strive to. I will reword that. Yes, you strive to win Emmys and Oscars and you know NAACP Image Awards and, it's a bonus, and whatnot. Though. It's a bonus. You don't you don't set out as that being the end goal. You set out to give a good performance to bring whatever you're doing to life and do justice to it. And then the fortune and the fame and the everything else that comes along is is icing on the cake. Well, there you go. Yeah. Um. I'm really excited that we got to talk about General Hospital and Graceland because, I mean, I know it's been a few years since General Hospital, but it's still kind of like all the fans are probably like, oh my god, oh my god! I mean, it was, let's see, it's been, I left in, actually I left in early 2012, so it's been, Two was it 2012? Years. I think it was, or 13. Was it 13? I think it was 13. There was about a, there was about six months to a year where I wasn't, I wasn't on the TV, I guess you could say. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the fact that now, People are all excited and be like, wow, I can see you in my living room again or whatever. I love hearing comments like that. You know, it's just, it's, again, it's, this industry is, you get beat, beat down so much and you've got your family and your friends as a support system. But to have somebody out there, you know, who you've never even met, who you've interacted with. And again, that's why I try my best to, you know, keep up on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and everything. It just to, they'll take the time out of their day to, say, hey, good morning, Eric, or, oh, it's so good to see you on TV again. To me, I don't take that lightly at all. Like, this is somebody I've never even met. Somehow I've affected them enough to where they want to take some time out of their day to think of me. That's amazing, you know? So I'm going to do everything that I can to interact there. If somebody, you know, when I get stopped, which doesn't happen all the time, but it does happen out in public or whatever, yes, I'm going to take a photo. Yes, I'm going to sign something if that's what you want. I mean, I'm just a country boy from Texas, but if somehow that you know, brings joy to your life, you're doing me that favor too by stopping me and talking to me. So, I mean, yeah, it's, again, it all comes down to, I wouldn't be able to do what I do without fans. They, it's the whole reason we have entertainment. That's awesome. And yeah. I mean, that's, that's what, I mean, that makes you feel good. Cause then you're like, you yeah. know what? Like that, that's why you do it. Yeah. It's, absolutely. Well, I mean, you do it for yourself, but this is the less selfish reason. For sure. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's always, you always do things for yourself because it's, it's what you love doing. But again, you, you do, you think about that when you're on set and you're, you're filming a scene or whatever. And at least I do. I think about, okay, what is this? I want this product, this end result to look good. Why? Because, you know, I, I want these people to appreciate what I'm doing. And I made an analogy in a conversation the other day about, you know, this, this industry and, and the business and everything. And, you know, uh, it was taken, this is taken out of the conversation, but, you know, like if we're selling vacuum cleaners or whatever, and somebody over there doesn't know anything about this vacuum cleaner, uh, you know, but you want them to, you're going to put forth, you're going to try to build the best vacuum cleaner in the world. You're going to put, you know, make flyers. You're going to take the time to talk to them about this vacuum cleaner so that then maybe, hey, they want to want to check it out. Same thing. I'm the vacuum cleaner. Like, you know, the show that I work on is a vacuum cleaner. It's the product. And at the end of the day, like, I want to, I'm always thinking about what I'm doing, you know, not just myself, but for the greater good of the show so that the product is something that the fans continue to want to watch. So we got to wrap this up very soon. So I kind of want to go through some of these like side little facts about sure. Eric Valdez. So you're a producer on, you were a uh, consulting producer on Focus Rally America, which yeah. was the Ford Focus Trip Across America web series. Yeah. Um, how did you kind of get involved with that? I'd been doing stuff with Ford for a while. Just I'd done some commercials with them. I did some live MC stuff with them for Ford Racing at the NHRA races and everything. And uh, just you know, form relationships. Uh, if you can't tell, I talk a lot, so you mm -hmm. know, it's you just 
strike up conversations, you form relationships and, you know, certain opportunities present themselves at certain times. And, you know, me having known some of these people within Ford and them knowing that I am a fanatic about cars and that I actually know quite a bit about cars, they asked me to come on board and kind of help facilitate certain, certain things, you know, certain shots that they were trying to get where they wanted to make sure they were getting, you know, if they needed to get a, a bad shot, they needed to get this certain type of shot to make the car look good, that they got that, but that it wasn't looking like a blatant commercial. Like in, in branded entertainment, which a lot of stuff is branded nowadays, the idea is to, to showcase whatever product, you know, that is involved, but to not just be selly with it, to, to integrate be, it into the script or, or whatever organically. Not be the Mountain Dew machine transformer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's one way of putting it. Yeah, um, that was featured on Hulu. Um, so that was one of the things. But did, does having your relationship with Ford kind of help you out when you need to get a new like you drive a three hundred two Boss Mustang? Yeah, I, that it definitely helps. You get some perks. My I got my Boss three hundred two. That's a car you don't really get great deals on per se because they made so few of them mm-hmm. that you know they don't discount it like they would you know a traditional even a traditional mustang or a focus or something that's mass produced but i did get i did get it i was able to get it which was hard to do anyway and i was able to get it you know at a good price um when a lot of people were actually paying over sticker for that car and everything only eight hundred thousand dollars <laughs> <laughs> i wish i could afford cars right, of that caliber right. but working on that um so you did learn to drive at age six you've been yeah. all about racing since you were a kid did that start just driving on on tractors at all at the farm or anything or not did- tractors i wanted to drive tractors and i've still i've never driven like a big tractor for whatever reason what? i've always wanted to and it, it just hasn't happened um, no, it was actually in a minivan. Like, <laughs> we had an 85 <laughs> Plymouth Voyager. Um, I remember the first time I saw it, it was gunmetal blue, and it had these chrome wire hubcaps. I mean, it was, looking it was back the coolest on it now, thing you've it was ever the coolest seen. thing in the world when you're six years old. But looking back on it now, I'm like, wow, minivan? That was my first passionate vehicle. But, uh, no, I, it was the first vehicle that I could actually drive myself for whatever reason. The seat moved far enough forward. I could sit on the edge and kind of look over the front and I could, I could drive this thing. And when you're out on a farm, there's nothing to hit. There's dirt and cotton. I mean, you know, I wasn't going to ruin anything or hurt anybody. And so for better or worse, my parents, you know, that's what I wanted to do. And my dad, you know, he would he first taught me on his lap and everything, but then as soon as I could reach it on my own, I'd go drive around the dirt roads and, you know, around my grandparents' farm and everything like that. And it's just, you know, I, I was I was kind of a natural at it, which is good when you're, you know, if you're going to be passionate about something, you, it you helps well be to good be good at it. at it. Yeah. But uh, no, that, that was something that never really went away. I mean, I wanted to start racing at an early age, but my parents weren't car people and we didn't have a ton of money you know which is what it takes to really give a go at this um and the other thing is too like if, if a kid wants to play football you know you you buy him a couple hundred bucks worth of equipment or whatever if they change their mind a week later well you spent a couple hundred bucks if a kid wants to go racing it's thousands and then if they change their mind that's a huge investment you hate you've them lost for the rest and you hate life. them yes um so yeah i mean it was you know i wanted to start earlier wasn't able to but it definitely came in handy later on in life and uh yeah been able to to race competitively and maybe doing some more of that here soon so you learned to drive at six though when did you learn to drive stick eight Eight. So yes. two years later. Two years later. I still don't know how to drive stick. Come on, man. I know it's it's such a failure. I've I've lost so many dates because no. <laughs> <laughs> the sad reality is you don't need to know how to drive it anymore. I mean, I say sad from a purist standpoint, mm-hmm. but the if manual you want a muscle car it needs to have stick. Though I agree, 
but the masses don't. Everybody wants paddle shift transmissions nowadays, which you can, you don't even have to shift with the paddles if you don't want. You just put it in drive and go. And that's where everything's going. And, you know, I can't argue with the fact that a good, you know, uh, double clutch gearbox or, or whatever, I won't get too technical on you, but these good manumatics, for lack of a better term nowadays, are, they're better than manual transmissions. They shift quicker than a human possibly can. It just kind of takes some of the purest, you know, the fun, fun out of driving. But So you've had over 30 cars in your life. 38 but now. 38 I'm now. On, well, I don't still have 38, but, but I've had... You've had 38. Yeah. So my question to you, every every car enthusiast has that one that one car mm-hmm. that they can never get, but they want it so bad. Yeah. What is that car? Ferrari F40. It's... Uh, <laughs> and what sucks is, you know, the car came out in 1987 to 92, I think, is when they finished building it. And for me, it was, it's everything that a car should be and nothing more. Uh, there's no AC, there's no radio, there's no carpet. It's raw carbon fiber and a little bit of felt. Um, some models didn't even have roll-down windows. They had plastic sliding things. I mean, it's essentially a race car with license plates. Um, how it was legal, I don't even really know. But um, <laughs> It was street legal? It was, <laughs> yeah. They, they had to build, they built the car, and again, I won't bore you with too many details on, on motorsports history, but Ferrari built the car for homologation reasons to compete in certain motorsports things. There's, there are rules where if you're going to build a car, it has to be based off of a road car, so they have to build a certain number of them to then qualify to race and blah, blah, blah. But either way, it was just, it, it, it broke all sorts of records for cars back in the day. I mean, it was the first car to go over 200 miles an hour, production car. First car to go under four seconds, zero to 60. I mean, just a lot of different cool facts. And it just looked badass. The thing is, it was 200 something thousand dollars in the 80s. There was a point a few years ago where they were around 300 $350,000. And in my mind, I'm like, okay, I can't afford that yet, but if I save and I continue to do what I'm doing career-wise, there's a chance within the next 5 to 10 years, maybe I can get one. They're worth like 1.2 to 1.4 mil nowadays. And they keep going up, oh. which means I'm going to either have to make a shit ton more money, <laughs> or I'm just going to have to buy a poster and be happy with it. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Have, you, have you driven one before? Have you gotten so the That's gym? a car. I've driven a lot of cars that I've never driven. Oh, sad. If anybody out there has an F40 sitting in their garage <laughs> and, you know, I'll come by and then uh, hang out and make lemonade and we'll go go for a drive. He'll sign it for you. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants me signing Nobody. their million dollar car. I guarantee that. So another few uh, random facts. I saw that you attended the Indy 500 this past yeah. uh, May and Ryan Hunter Ray was the winner, a Texas born racer. Yeah. Was that who you were rooting for? Or? No, I mean, I like Ryan Hunter Ray. Hey, the Texas thing is actually, you know, a cool little attachment, but Graham Ray Hall is a buddy of mine. And, uh, you know, I was definitely rooting for him and they did not have luck on their side that day, unfortunately. But I got to tell you, like, shouts out to Graham. He's, he's, He's a real deal. Like, he's a talented driver. He's super marketable. He's a good-looking kid, all-American kid. And, uh, you know, he's he's already gone places. I think he's going to continue to go further in his career. He's a hell of a driver on road courses. <clears throat> um, if you watch IndyCar and you watch him, on, especially these street courses, he's he runs up through the field fantastically. It's awesome. Ovals haven't been their strong suit this year. It's, you know, it's for a variety of reasons. And in racing, it can be literally a $2 part that makes a difference, which I think is what it was at Indy that took him out of the race. But, no, he was great and, you know, put me up for the week. I got to go to so many cool events that the general public doesn't get to go to. And for me, it was one of the coolest things I've ever done in my life. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, I still have not... I'm from North Carolina. 
around. So I, I grew up in the South. I grew up around. Supposed people who to be like, a NASCAR fan, buddy. I'm supposed buddy. to be a NASCAR fan, and I I just never really got into it as a kid. But it's definitely like on my bucket list to go to one of yeah. these like famous races. And have you never been to never a, been a, to a race? race? Oh man, you... I know. So I, I still got to like knock that off the list. All right, we'll get you out when Graham and them IndyCar comes to California Speedway at the end of their season, which is in a couple of months. So we'll get you out there. Awesome. Well, I see race. Now we're just going to throw out some random facts about you. Okay. You like to cook. You made tacos for ABC. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I didn't know I was a good cook. Apparently, I make some pretty decent stuff. But uh, yeah, I made some homemade guacamole, some beans, rice, and turkey meat tacos. You don't drink. I do not. Ever. No. I've. I say I've never had a drop. That would be a lie. I've. I've literally. I've tried sips of beer and wine and mixed drinks and stuff here and there. I, I can't do it. I don't. I've never had, and that wasn't, I didn't even try sips until probably the last two years of my life. I went my entire life not even, there's no curiosity there. But I just started like, okay, let me, the the curiosity set in to be like, why is this such a thing? Let me at least try a sip, whatever. I don't, flavor-wise, I don't get it, number one. Number two, and I think what has always been kind of the the, the factor behind that is, I don't know, like, I I like, I'm the kind of person who likes to know what's going on and be as clear-headed as possible at all times. Maybe it's a bit of a control thing. And so, yeah, for whatever reason, I've just never been attracted to the idea of getting shit-faced and forgetting about things. (laughs) Alrighty then, well, especially when you're a racer, that doesn't, yeah, yeah, you don't want to do that. No, especially not in a car at 200 miles an hour. You collect shoes. I have a lot of shoes. What's What's your current number at? I, I got rid of some. It was up as high as like 47, 48. I think I'm down in the 30s, probably high 30s right now in terms of pair of shoes. Yeah, we're but like 15, 16 pairs. Hey, yeah, that's really all you need. I, there are shoes in my closet that I'll wear once and I won't wear for another six months. And then I'll be like, hey, I haven't worn those in a while. And I'll wear them again. And then they just sit there again. It's, it's, I, don't, I don't understand it, but they're cool. And it was a few years ago, I think, the interview I saw, which was uh, you, you said you had a crush on a celebrity. Yeah. And it was uh, it was Kate Upton. Yeah. And she recently released a video where she's doing zero G, taking a modeling suit and <laughs> suit, shooting zero G. Never saw that video. Don't know Didn't what you're think talking you would about now. If you have one thing to say to Kate Upton, say it right now. What would you say to her? Jeez, uh, man, you put me on the spot here. <laughs> and I might get in trouble with a few people out there. But uh, no, I mean, Kate, if, if you're around and you happen to be going up in some jet to do some zero G stuff again, um, yeah, I'm... I'm a specialist at zero gravity suits, and I should be there to make sure that everything's going properly. Just, I don't even know. <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to find the, the most politically correct, non, you know, bad answer to put out there. Well, we've, we've seen, we've seen how you, how you play the game with, with that, right? Yeah. Uh, not well. No, it's not- bad. <laughs> bad. Um, and, Last thing, I do want to give a shout out to Circo Meta. Do you still do you still work with them a lot? That's my that's that's been my saving grace at certain certain points in time. And you know, it's not something I really advertise or anything like that. But it's a business I started when I first moved out here. Um, that's kind of evolved. It was there when I wasn't working as an actor, and it provided you know income and not a lot at times. But it's gotten to the point now where we're we're doing pretty good, and we're still a small operation. But uh, yeah, we do some cool stuff. Like if you guys ever want to wrap a wall in here with your AfterBuzz logos, you know, which you have forty seven hundred of already. But if you wanted to add more, we can do stuff like that for you. So. Well, that's pretty sick. We'll have to actually think about that. Yeah, maybe maybe work <laughs> something out. Um, I know Marissa in the booth is probably like, "Come on, wrap this up." So I Sorry. think. I think I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. If there's anything else I wanted to mention. Wait, have we really talked for 73 minutes yeah, and 33 seconds? It, it's, it goes by quick. 
Wow. Seriously, the, you do it for the if fans. You're still, <laughs> if you're still tuned into this, thank you. <laughs> wow, I talk a lot. <laughs> it's totally all right. I mean, I got through everything except for the Young Storytellers Foundation. That was the last talking point that I had. It's one of the charities I work with, uh, Young Storytellers Foundation, Best Buddies is another one, and then uh, St. Jude is another one I just recently started working with. So that's one of the things I, you know, if I can give back and use my voice in any way, shape, or form to help. That's that's one of the big motivating factors for continuing to succeed. And Manny's really big on that too. He stays down, yeah, down in. Con- I think it's he stays in Long Beach. Long Beach. That's and right. he actually coaches high school football. Yeah. He's a huge sports guy and everything. So he's when he's not filming, he's coaching, which is which is really cool. Like I, I don't know. I for me, being able to to affect people and positively impact their lives is just a huge thing that I think we should just do as human beings. And the fact that we've got a bigger platform to do it for more people. If you don't take advantage of that. In my opinion, you're you're losing out on opportunities. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I feel like I feel like we've kind of gotten to know you better. I feel like <laughs> there's not really much else I could ask without getting way too personal. Probably not. <laughs> no, I mean we there's yeah we talked about quite a bit there. We did. Um, I want to thank you again for coming in. Uh, again, this has been a spotlight on with Eric Valdez or Russell, if you want to be called. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> where, can we, where can we find you on Twitter and follow you and have all your fans contact you? Uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook are all the same. It's at Eric Valdez, which is spelled E-R-I-K-V-A-L-D-E-Z, not E-R-I-C. Um, if you misspell it after you've added me, I'll let it slide the first couple times, and then I might just, you know, block you. No, I'm just kidding. And how can people contact you if they want to wrap a wall or car and something cool? <laughs> just shoot me a, a message on one of those things. I don't even have social media for the business, and we don't advertise. So, yeah, reach if that's what you want, reach out, and then I'll, I'll reach out to you uh, after that regarding that business. All right. Well, thanks so much for tuning in, guys. Again, this has been a Spotlight On with Eric Valdez. Uh, if you're a fan of Graceland, that would be a great way to learn more about his character on Graceland, Carlito Solano. I've been Stephen Lemieux. You can find me at Twitter, on Twitter, at Stephen Lemieux, S-T-P-H-E-N-L-E-M-I-E-U-X, and doing a few more interviews here coming up. So yeah. uh, thank you guys for tuning in, and we will see you next time. See ya. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other after shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz, Buzz you later. later. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.